Hey, thank you for joining us today here at Edge Church. I want to talk with you for a few moments about how you can build a dynamic spiritual life. And more specifically, how God can meet the spiritual needs that you are facing. When we think about our needs, oftentimes we think about our physical needs, food, clothing, shelter. We think about our emotional needs, friendship, companionship, encouragement. But many times we're quick to dismiss the spiritual aspects of our own life. In fact, I'm convinced that the foundation of our life really centers around a solid spiritual, around a solid spiritual life. So for the next few moments, let's talk about how God can meet our very significant spiritual needs, our needs to be loved, our, our need to know that our life matters, our, uh, the need to know that God is always with us, that there's always hope. And when that happens, <clears throat> there's several symptoms of our spiritual life that begin to take root. We're able to forgive people that hurt us at a greater capacity. We're able to overcome the adversity that's before us. We're able to have a, a better and a, and a strengthened positive attitude about life in general. We're able to give more to our family and we're able to feel more fulfilled. And if any of those things resonate with your spirit, I know you're going to love what I'm going to share with you today. From the book of 2 Kings, would you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5 and we're looking at a man by the name of Naaman. And I want everybody at home to say out loud together, Naaman. Ready? One, two, three, Naaman. Naaman. That's our subject matter. Uh, we find this incredible individual in uh, verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So the scriptures describe Naaman as this great warrior. He's, he's not a normal man. He's, he's what the scriptures call a great man. He's accomplished. He's loyal. He is brave. He is a warrior. He is he's a man to be respected and admired. And everything seems to be going great for Naaman. But there's one really big but. It's one of the biggest buts in the Old Testament. And it's found there at the end of verse 1. And it says, he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. But he had leprosy. And if great people still have big needs, then everybody else has big needs as well. I mean, just think about it, man. This guy is on top of the world. Everything is going his direction. Naaman's the toast of the town. But yet, deep in his heart, he has a huge problem, leprosy. And In the ancient world, people would speak of leprosy. They would call lepers the living dead. It was a date with death. It was a circumstance that, that everybody knew that your life was coming to a screeching halt. It was a life of pain and misery, big sores all over your body that would become infected. And, and to the point that limbs of the body would just fall off when leprosy had advanced to a certain level, 
Naaman realizes that he has no hope unless God intervenes. He has a huge need. He has a huge need. You know what? You have a huge need. I love to call these the big butts of 2 Kings. Because in 2 Kings it says here, but he had leprosy. Look at it again. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He's a rock star, but he has a butt. Everybody has at least one butt. Last time I checked. Everybody's got that butt. I don't know if you've ever put on some clothes and you've said, honey, does this outfit make my butt look big? Everybody has at least one butt. Everybody's got that certain area of their life that is broken and needs healing and needs power and needs strength and needs capability from God. We all have a butt. Some people have big butts and some people have little butts, but we all have butts. And sometimes people ask, Pastor Ryan, how do you put sermons together? I try to preach to people's butts. I really do. Sometimes I get tired of looking at your faces. I, I want to preach to the butts. This leper is a great man, but he has a huge problem. On the field of battle, he's dynamic, he's energetic, he's respected, he's valiant because he can put his armor over the leprosy. But at home, when he takes off his armor, he has those sores that are spreading. And he knows that death is imminent. Everybody has a significant need. Uh, one of my friends, a brilliant, creative guy, a big guy, a tough guy, looks like a bodyguard, tattoos, a shaved head, big, strong guy. I was thinking the other day as we were talking, he was raped by his older brother. And he's had so much emotional pain in his life. And by God's grace, he's worked through a lot of that. But he struggled with doubt and insecurity and uncertainty and fear and so many other things as a result of that but in his life. He's a great man, but he has a great need. Famous people. We see them on TV and on the internet, people that are wealthy, people that are famous, taking their lives. Why would people do that? They have a but. They have a need. They have a struggle. And God is the one who is able to meet our needs. We need God. And I want you to write it down. Number one, everybody has a significant need. Everybody has a but. And this but led Naaman to seek after help. You see, it's one thing to have a need. And it's another thing to say, I have a need, I'm going to find the answer. And so this is what he does. If you look, beginning in verse 2 and 3, we see that everybody needs some good news. Look at this right here. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel... And she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Thank God for this little servant girl, and I'd hate to give away the rest of the story, but Naaman is about to be healed. He is. 
but he would not have been healed had the servant girl who was taken from Israel, she was a little Jewish girl, and she tells her uh, master about the prophet. And she says, you know what? You got a big problem, but I got some good news. And the good news is if you will go and see the prophet Elisha, he can heal you. Naaman's thinking, man, this sounds awesome. I got no other alternatives. I tried all the essential oils and they didn't work. So I'm going to go check out this prophet in Samaria. Let's go see what he has to say. And this little girl tells him good news. You know, this week on our Zoom call with our student ministry, three students gave their lives to Christ. And we shared the good news. Uh, I can't think of anything more appropriate for us to be talking to people about today than good news. We need more good news. People love to hear good news. And listen, the good news of Jesus Christ is that God sent his only son to die on the cross, to rise from the grave on the third day because he loved us so much. We need to be about spreading more good news. But let's see where this story takes us. Look at it again, beginning in verse 4. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram said. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter... He tore his robes and he said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? In other words, this guy would have, to, it would be easier for this guy to die and then to be resurrected than to be healed of leprosy. And look there at the end of verse 7. Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. So the good news leads Naaman to the Holy Land, to Israel. But instead of talking to the prophet, he goes to the king. Now think about this. You have a divine need in your life. You need a word from God, not a word from a man. And he makes a mistake of going to the king instead of talking to the prophet. And Joram, the king of Israel, is panicked about this because historically Aram, which is now modern-day Syria, and Israel had a conflict, and they fought. And they were nations that warred against each other. And so he thinks, look, this guy sends me an esteemed general to heal him, and I'm a normal guy. And I can't heal anybody, but he's going to go back sick and the king is going to be upset with me and this is going to cause a war between two nations. And Joram the king begins to panic about the king of Aram being mad at him. He thinks he's like a big bully on a playground picking a fight with him. But that's not the end of the story. Thank goodness, Elisha the prophet, the man of God, 
that we've been studying over these last few weeks gets word that there's some help that is needed. And Naaman starts by going to the king, but he ends up going to the prophet to get a word from God. Because of what Joram had been through, he saw this as an attack. He saw this as a, as a chance to worry. You know, sometimes the baggage in our life prevents us from looking at circumstances objectively. And what is freaking out Joram the king is no big deal to Elisha, the man of God. I mean, Elisha's like, yeah, bring him on over to the house. Yeah, well, this, is, this doesn't worry me. Elisha's not panicked in the least. Joram, actually, it's interesting, if you study the scripture, he's actually the king of the people of God, the chosen people of God, and yet he's a non-believer. Did you know that religious proximity will never transform your life just because you're around spiritual people just because you're around people that are religious or or just because you know religious jargon or or you went to a christian school or you went to church a few times that 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 won't change your heart and joram is a great example of this but now naaman is off to the house of elisha he's off to the house of elisha and elisha is going to help him So everybody has significant needs. Everybody needs some good news. And thirdly, everybody can respond with real obedience. Now here's where this thing begins to take off. It begins to take off because God wants to meet those spiritual needs in our life. And everybody can respond with real obedience. Now look at this in 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 8. When Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes. He sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Elisha's like, king, listen, don't worry, I got this covered. Just send him on over to me. And he sends the word. Elisha says, come and see what God's going to do. And in verse 9, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. I mean, here's what's so funny about this whole thing. Elisha doesn't even speak to Naaman. Now, normally when you have an esteemed guest come to your house, and this was certainly true in the ancient world, perhaps even more than it is today, but but if somebody famous and rich and wealthy and influential comes to see you, you genuinely, you know, you usually take a few moments to at least say hello. And Elisha doesn't do that. He just sends the servant to go tell him, dip seven times in the Jordan and you're good. Naaman's put off by this. He's like, come on, man. I came all this way. I came from Aram. I came from another country. I've been traveling. I had to go talk to your silly king. Now I'm talking to you. And you don't even come to the door. What's wrong with this prophet, Elisha? What's wrong with him? I think in the mind of, of Elisha, this was just simply not a big deal to him. 
Elisha's like, you know what? I can raise dead people. I, I can provide, I can do miracles. I help people get breakthroughs to God all the time. I, I think Elisha was on to other things. And it wasn't that he didn't care. I think it just wasn't of that much concern to him. Elisha had that much faith. But to this non-believing man from Syria, Naaman, it was a huge deal. Now look at verse 11. But Naaman went away angry and he said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God, wave his hands over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Are not Abana and Fairpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. Elisha says, just go dip in the river seven times, the Jordan River. But that's not good enough. Naaman is angry. Naaman is prideful. Naaman is self-centered. Naaman thinks he knows exactly what God is supposed to do. This prophet is supposed to come out here and do a little jig and put his hands over the sores and pray and then I'm immediately going to be healed. How many of you know the moment that you think that you know exactly what God is going to do, God does something completely different? And Naaman leaves in a fit of rage. He's headed back to Syria now. I'm going home. I'm so angry. I've been disrespected. I've been dishonored. What's wrong with these Israelite people? I thought they had the living God. This was supposed to be a prophet. And he's so disappointed. <clears throat> I want to ask you today, what is your Jordan River in your life? What is the one thing that you will not do that God has called you to. What's that one thing? Is it a quitting a secret sin? Is it a conversation that you've been avoiding for years? Is it, is it a certain pattern or a certain um, direction of your life? What is it? For Naaman, it was, I will do anything, but I will not go to the Jordan. We got better rivers in Damascus over in Syria. Why is he sending me to the Jordan River? I don't even like Israel. I want to go home. See, sometimes we think that we have to understand everything that God is doing before we can follow him. But you know what? That's not trust. That's not faith. Faith is trusting God when it doesn't make sense. Trusting God when I don't have all the details. Does it really matter why God is sending him to the Jordan? No. Yeah, it was another 30 miles down the road. It was going to take a couple of days probably to get there. But wouldn't it be worth it? Sometimes we think, man, i got to have all the answers. If God would just simply explain to me everything that he is doing in my life, I would follow what he says. But you know what? Thank goodness the servants begin to talk a little sense into him. And the servants begin to say otherwise. But before we get to that, just think about all the passages in the Bible where people obeyed what God said 
and they didn't have the details. Noah built an ark, never having seen rain. Joshua got a word from God that he was to march around the city walls of Jericho. Why do, how do you fight when you're marching? Don't we need to be shooting uh, flaming arrows? Don't we need to be using uh, whatever you know, weapons that we have to knock down those walls? God said, no, I just need you to march and blow trumpets and I need you to shout. <clears throat> okay. Sometimes following the Lord's not like that. God told Joseph, go ahead and marry Mary even though she is pregnant. Joseph didn't understand. He didn't have all the details. He didn't know how this was all going to work out. But he had a great word from God. And I hope today in your spiritual life, that you will strongly consider and think about this. What is God calling you to do that you keep saying, no, Lord, that didn't make sense. That in my way, that in the way that I had it all figured out of my mind. You may be missing God's greatest blessing in your life by simply saying, no, 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 no. But thank goodness when... Uh, when uh, Naaman settles down a little bit. His servants talk to him. And in verse uh, number 13, it says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself into the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. I mean, <coughs> I love these servants, man. They're like, look, I know that's not what you wanted to hear, but what's the alternative? By the way, Naaman, you already tried your plan, and it didn't work out. You need God. You need divine intervention. What do you have to lose? <laughs> and Naaman finally consents. He's like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have got so angry and upset. Maybe I should go dip in the Jordan River. And I love this. He says, you know what? If the prophet would have told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. In other words, like if the prophet would have said, go kill a hundred bad guys, Naaman would have been all over it. If the prophet would have said, go climb the highest mountain peak, he would have been all over it. He would have done it in a heartbeat. God tells him to do something that's kind of simple, like take a bath, take a dip. It doesn't sound hard enough. It doesn't sound difficult enough. But everything doesn't have to make sense for us to follow God. A few years ago, we were leaving the church building with my family. <coughs> and I told my daughter, I said, Bryn, there's some strange looking people out in the parking lot and I want you to go straight to the car and she said okay dad and uh, I was watching I was looking I walked very quickly to the car and I turned around and she was still standing at the door of the church <laughs> and in the meantime this strange-looking individual was moving quickly towards her. I started screaming at her. 
get in the car, get in the car. Finally, when she got seated, she said, Dad, why were you so upset? And I said, I told you to get in the car quickly. But I didn't have a chance to explain to you all the reasons why. But you know what? That doesn't matter. I'm your dad. And if I tell you to do something, I have a reason. And even if you don't understand it, and even if you disagree with it, or even if you would do it differently, that's okay. But when I ask you to do something, I need you to move because I always have a reason. I think that's the way that God looks at our lives. God looks at us and he says, listen, man, if I tried to explain it to you, your finite mind couldn't even comprehend it. So just go with me. When I call you to something, when I challenge you to do something, when I push you a little bit, when I call you to something, you don't have to have all the answers and all of the explanations. All you need to do is move in faith. You have a great chance to be obedient. And listen, if Naaman, the unbelieving warrior, can follow God, I know you can too. You can follow God with whatever he wants you to do. Whatever he's called you to do, hop on it, man. Don't wait. Be obedient with the talents that God has given to you. Be obedient with your giving that God has called you to. Be obedient with following the goals and purposes that God has put into your heart and into your life. Follow those things. Matthew says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, Jesus echoes this same sentiment, this same healing in the Gospels. In John chapter 9, there's a man that's been born blind, and Jesus heals him. But before that, Jesus heals people all different ways. Some people, he touched them. Some people, he just spoke the word. Some people, he did other things. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man by spitting on the ground and making mud, wiping it on his eyes, and telling him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Can you imagine the blind guy with mud running off his eyes, making his way through the city streets, trying to find directions to the pool, all the while passing two or three other pools along the way that he could have stopped at. Why did, why did Jesus wipe mud on the blind? It's almost like, is Jesus making fun of this guy? I don't think that's the point. The point is that God wants us to learn to do what he has called us to do. And even when it sounds odd, and even when it sounds weird, God has a reason. I don't know all the reasons that Naaman had to go rip in the Jordan, dip in the Jordan River, but God told him to. And the prophet challenged him, and he was immediately healed when he did it. <clears throat> what is God calling you to do? Everybody can respond with real obedience. Everybody can do it. And I have found in my own life that God's way is usually harder on the front end, but it is always better over the long haul. And I think you'll find that too in your own life if you haven't already. Here's the fourth thing. Everybody needs a changed heart. Now, <clears throat> then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, and he stood before him and he said, Now I know that there is a God 
and in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. And then in verse 16, the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. So the first time he goes to Naaman's house, Naaman just sends the servant to talk to him. The second time, when he comes back after the healing, he gets before Elisha. And he says, you know what? Not only has my physical body been cleansed, my heart has been changed on the inside. That's the ultimate healing. The greatest healing in the life of Naaman was not his leprosy, it was his heart. And his heart is turned and yielded to God. And a great miracle happens in his salvation. He says this, Now I know there is no God in all the world except Israel. And when you read the following verses, you see signs of true life change and repentance and turning away from his old life of worshiping idols to worship the living God. Naaman has a true encounter with the living God. I mean, it's an awesome thing. And the prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. So Naaman tries to give him a gift out of thanks. And, hey man, you helped me get healed of leprosy and find the Lord? What can I do for you, man? I brought all this treasure and this change of clothes and this money from Aram and I'd like to give you some of it. And, and I don't think it would have been wrong for Elisha to accept that, but in this context he chose not to. And he sends Naaman home. And Naaman now has a new heart and a new lease on life. But check this out. This is where the story gets really crazy. And sometimes when you read stories in the Bible, you're like, oh, I know exactly where this is going. But this is not one of them. Okay, watch this. Look at this in verse 19. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman. This Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. And as surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Okay, now, now <clears throat> did you see that? Gehazi, the servant, is like, you know what? This guy got healed of leprosy and he found salvation in the Lord. This guy ought to pay at least something. I mean, come on, man. This guy ought to earn it. I think this is a powerful lesson about grace. It's about the grace and the mercy of God. It's a picture of salvation. Do you see it? Salvation comes by grace and mercy. It doesn't come by our own achievement. It doesn't come by something that we can buy or purchase or something that we can do. And Gehazi is a very religious guy. He's watched Elisha perform miracles. He saw Elisha raise a dead boy from the dead. He, he saw uh, an older couple uh, that could not have children conceive after Elisha said. He saw Elisha do other miracles. Gehazi is a spiritual guy. He knows a lot about the Lord. But yet there's something in his heart that feels like Naaman should have to pay. So what does he do? So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running towards him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. 
Everything is all right. <coughs> Gehazi answered, My master sent me to say, Two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothes. Okay, so did, did, did Elisha send Gehazi? No. Gehazi is lying to Naaman. He's exploiting the situation. He's like, this guy's loaded. He's got some money he wants to give. I was kind of, you know, I was singing back up for the prophet Elisha. And if Elisha doesn't want the money and he doesn't need the hookup, I do. So let me go and I'm going to tell a little fib. And I'm going to make up this story about the prophets in, in need. And I'm going to get this godless man from, from, from Syria to, to give me the treasure and the clothes that, that the prophet didn't want. Gehazi uh, lies. He gets selfish and greedy. And it's interesting because in this story, we see two men that are sick. We have Gehazi who is religious, but he's proud and he's selfish and he is a liar. And we have Naaman who is also proud and is arrogant and cocky and so many other things. And both men need to be healed. See, sometimes we think there are good people and there are bad people. The reality is all people are either forgiven or unforgiven. They're forgiven or unforgiven. We need the mercy and the grace of God. And people come to salvation. People receive cleansing in their own heart and their own spirit the same way whether they are religious like Gehazi or whether they are irreligious like Naaman. Everybody comes to faith the exact same way. They just had different butts. One butt started with leprosy and with a godless pagan. Another with a man who was so religious but obviously did not really understand the true message of salvation. So how does this thing wrap up? In verse 25... It says, when he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been? Gehazi, your servant, don't go anywhere. Uh, uh, your servant did not go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you? When the man got down from his chariot to meet you, and is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flocks or herds or male or female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. And then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous and he became as white as snow. Isn't this crazy? Naaman has a changed heart. Gehazi has a hardened heart. One man owned his junk. Another man tried to lie and cover it up. And the outcome was that the man with leprosy is whole. But the man who is selfish and self-indulgent doesn't find any healing. Wow. Everybody needs cleansing. And God wants us to turn to him in repentance and faith to trust in him. Will you take the plunge? Will you say yes to God? Will you do what God has called you to do, whatever it takes?
Everybody needs a changed heart. And God wants to come into your life through his son, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me for just a moment?